Well, good evening. How's everybody doing tonight? Awesome, good, so good to see you guys. Uh, my name is Chad Glover, I'm one of the young adult pastors here at Abundant Life, and we are so glad that you have made the choice to be here tonight. Hey, if you have a copy of God's Word, I want to invite you uh, to turn to the book of First Peter. First Peter, we've been in First Peter um, for the last few weeks, and so uh, if you're new to the Bible, uh, we're fans here, and uh, so we don't do drugs, we do the Word, and, um, and so we think that it's going to help you out in life, and we're going to talk about some very uh, unique things um, about God's Word tonight, but if you're new to the scripture, First uh, Peter, if you have a copy of God's Word, or maybe you grab one with a cookie, and those cookies, by the way, come on, I mean, anybody get one of those cookies? Yes, thank you, manna from heaven. All right, so um, anyway, if you're new to the Bible, First Peter is going to be towards uh, the end of your Bible. You, you turn to the last book, which is Revelation or the maps. Um, they don't help you get anywhere around Kansas City, but maybe the Middle East. Um, and then you back up a little bit. Both uh, Peters are together, First and Second Peter. We're going to be in the first one. Um, and so I don't think there's a third Peter, but there may be one coming. I don't think so. Anyway, so uh, First, Second Peter. Uh, first Peter will be in chapter one. And I'm just really excited tonight because uh, there's going to be some things that we exposed out of uh, this letter that Peter wrote that, that I really am excited about. And uh, I want to uh, just kind of give you what I want to talk about tonight in a sentence. And so here it is. I want to give you one big truth that's going to feed an important desire because of a glorious experience, okay? One big truth that's going to feed an important desire that uh, because of a glorious experience, okay? And so this one big truth that we're going to start with, this one big truth is, it, it has had such a profound impact on my life. I haven't always um, submitted to this one big truth, but this one big truth, it, it's, it's huge. Like, th this one big truth for me, it has affected everything about my, my life up into uh, the, the season of life that I'm in. This one big truth for me, it, it, has, a ch it has affected the way that I think um, about my wife. It's affected the way I think about about my kids, about my work. This one big truth for me has affected the way that I talk. Uh, it has affected the, the, uh, the way that I see my life going in the future. Um, this one big truth for me is such a profound thing that it has, it has radically altered the course of the trajectory of my life. Like I was um, set on this path uh, when I was getting ready to think professionally as a young man in high school and then into college. And, and then this one big truth, man, it, it's so gradual my life, that, it, that it radically altered the direction of my life. And, and the one big truth that, uh, that, that, that I came to the conclusion of and that I want you to, to get involved with, you've already seen it behind me, but here it is. It's really simple, really simple. And if you've been in church a while, forgive me for being so elementary here. But this one big truth, it's huge. And here it is. God's word will last forever. Okay, let, let me say it again. God's word will last forever. For, uh, that's right, 25 years of Sandlot, one of the greatest baseball movies ever made. <laughs> God's word will last forever. Do you believe that? Let's look. First Peter, starting in uh, chapter 1, verse 22, and here's what it says. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through one spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another 
fervently with a pure heart, not a conceited heart, not a malicious heart, not a jealous heart. Love one another, not just half-heartedly, not just sometimes, not just when you look pretty, when you feel like it, but love one another fervently with a pure heart. Having been born again, we've talked about that in the past. If you don't know what I'm talking about there, holla at the podcast. Not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God. Here we go. Which lives and abides forever. You could circle that word forever. Because, and here he's about to quote Isaiah, I think chapter 40, and he says, because all flesh is as grass and the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away or fades away like that old t-shirt. But the word of the Lord, it endures, here it is again, forever. That's right. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. And so for a lot, a lot of my life, I didn't really know and I didn't really believe that God's word was going to last forever. And so here's what I do. And in my heart, it, it oftentimes wants to go back to this disbelief of the eternal nature of God's word. And so uh, for a large part of my life, I pursued all these things that, that the book of Ecclesiastes, excuse me, would say was a vain pursuit. And so like I pursued things like status, things like um, my, my, my look or things like athletic accomplishments or, or success. Or, or, um, or you know, a number of things, a litany of things that I have pursued that that in the end they don't really matter. At the expense of pursuing God's word, which will last forever. And so there's a lot of things in my life that I pursued that lasted about as long as a relationship from The Bachelor. You know, just like, oh, so cute. Okay, it's gone. All right, so, um, but I wonder what it would look like if I begin to live or if you begin to live for the things that truly mattered. God's word will last forever. Now, the word of God is, is, is an amazing truth. And, and in this fact that God's word would last forever, um, I, I, I hope that, that the fact that, that God's word will last forever would forever have a lasting impact upon you. Like I hope that, that, that the fact that God's word will last forever would have a forever uh, or for, would forever have a lasting impact upon you. And when it comes to the scripture, like there's a lot of hate uh, on the scripture. And there's a, like a lot of people would look at people who believe the Bible as, as kind of like lesser intellectually or um, like they're going to uh, uh, reference a quote by like Dawkins or somebody like that who says, you know, the Bible, it's unreliable, that sort of thing. But guys, when you look at some of the most profound truths about the legitimacy and the historicity of the Bible, like it, it boggles my mind how people could criticize the word of God as if it's uh, some sort of fictitious legend that, that was made up to start some movement about some guy in the middle of nowhere. And so, like, I just want to take you on a quick journey um, it, to support the historicity of the Scripture because historically the Bible has been under extreme scrutiny throughout the ages, and it has, um, it has uh, emerged unscathed. In fact, the, the Bible has gone through more uh, a scholastic criticism than any other ancient piece of literature. And, and I love that uh, when you get around guys who just are like, man, the Bible's going to take care of itself, um, I love what they have to say because they're just so excited about the, the, the legitimacy of Scripture. So uh, Charles Spurgeon, when somebody said, hey, Spurgeon, you think um, he's a famous preacher that's dead now. He preached at a big church back in the day in England. He was a Baptist guy. Anyway, so uh, Spurgeon, he said, he said this. When somebody said, Spurgeon, should you like, you know, defend the Bible? And he said, defend the Bible? I'd soon rather defend a lion. He's like, guys, the, the Bible, it'll take care of itself. 
Just like I don't have to stand in front of Simba and go, I got you, dog. You know, like uh, Simba's going to take care of himself. That's a Lion King reference. Talk to Luke. He can help you out with that. All right. So uh, anyway, um, the, the scripture, it has this, this ability to protect itself. But I just want to go through three tests real quick. Um, and, and I just want to, uh, if you're, if you're uh, on the fence, if you're like, man, I don't know about the legitimacy of scripture, let me just give you three reasons why I intellectually believe the, the historicity of the scripture. The first test is the bibliographical test. And so in the bibliographical test, um, we're looking at ancient manuscripts of the Bible, and we want to ask whether the text of the Bible we have today is the same as its original. And so bibliographical test, y'all remember back in the day when you had to write a research paper and you were pulling your hair out, or, or maybe you had that mama that wrote it for you, but you didn't tell nobody, but your teacher knew, but anyway, passed you anyway. Um, and so maybe uh, you remember those days, and you had to have a bibliography at the end of that research paper that cited where you got all of your information from, um, aka you made up a bunch of things, but you only got your information from one spot online, but you couldn't tell nobody because Wikipedia wasn't legit back then. Anyway, so um, bibliographical test means that we're trying to see if there's any old documents that match up to make sure that what we're reading today is actually full of integrity based upon what the authors wrote, i.e., if we're reading First Peter to make sure that there were some documents back in the day that are going to prove that the First Peter we're reading today is actually what was written back then. Are you with me? Say, uh-huh. If you're not, say, slow down. Okay, all right, here we go. Sorry, you just have to speed up. Here we go. So um, there are 5,000 Greek manuscripts that, um, that reflect the integrity of what we have in our New Testament today. There's hundreds of papyra that we have, like, different phrases from, words from, 350 uh, Syriac texts. There are 32,000 quotations. Almost the entire New Testament is quoted by our early church fathers who, who lived uh, circa uh, 4th century and prior to that. And so um, we have an, an enormous amount of confidence in the bibliographical uh, legitimacy uh, that we find uh, throughout history in and, and it, you tally it all up, man, there's like some 25,000 uh, manuscripts, but like I said, about, around 5,000 uh, actual Greek manuscripts. Now, the, the second greatest uh, referenced work of literature in ancient world is, uh, the, is Homer's Iliad. And Homer's Iliad, um, some sources say like 464 uh, citations, others say as many as 1,700 citations. But let's just put it in this context, the Bible has twice as as many as, or, or more than twice as many as the Iliad, and no one is questioning the integrity of Homer's Iliad. But for one reason or another, there's, there's animosity towards the Word of God. But when you put it through the, the filter of the bibliographical text, you see that the Bible spanks the pants off of the Iliad. And if you want to disregard the Bible, you might as well throw out Plato's writings, Socrates' writings, Homer's writings, and Caesar's writings. And so the Bible has great, uh, it has great integrity under the bibliographical text. The next test is the internal test. And so in the internal test, what we're looking for is whether we can determine whether the document we have before us was written by eyewitnesses or not. So the scripture, the gospels in particular, they are eyewitness accounts that were written in detail uh, the way that they happened within one generation of Jesus' lifetime. Now, there was this guy that, that sought out like his, his seminal work. Like this was his big deal. He sought out to 
disprove that um, those gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were actually um, eyewitness accounts of, of the life of Jesus. So he sought out, he was really skilled in this, sought out to disprove it. Um, it, it. Note that he was not a believer in Christ, and so he was trying to disprove that the eyewitness accounts were actually uh, uh, real eyewitness accounts. And so he went in and internally examined uh, those texts, examined how they were written, and um, he came out a believer in the evidence that was undeniable internally into the text. And so if we can want to uh, place our faith in the fact that our, um, our word that we have here, the word of God, endures forever, we can stand on the bibliographical text, we can, a test, we can stand on the internal test, but I believe the most compelling test that we can stand on is the external test. Now the external test is uh, looking for external evidence for the Bible, and uh, I just want to give you mainly in archaeology, okay? Archaeology is where they dig up stuff out in the Middle East to find out if stuff really happened in the Bible and other places in ancient literature. And so the archaeological evidence for the integrity of God's Word and in that it was written in a certain time and the authors were not crazy using certain words is overwhelming. And so if you get the chance to go dig and play in the dirt in Palestine... Go for it. And here's what we find here, that there is this guy named Miller Burroughs. He is a former archaeology professor at Yale University, okay? Yale is the uh, mecca of conservative biblical doctrine, just kidding. Um, if anybody was against the integrity of the scripture, uh, professor at Yale would definitely be against that. But here's what he said. On the whole, archaeological work has unquestionably strengthened confidence in the reliability of the scriptural record. More than one archaeologist has found his respect for the Bible increased by the experience of excavation in Palestine. Archaeology has in many cases refuted the views of modern critics. And so let me just give you one example. In John chapter 5, the author John, he's writing in, in detail, okay? He's writing about different places, writing about different happenings. And here's what he writes in detail. He talks about this pool in Jerusalem by the sheep gate called in Hebrew Bethesda, which has five porticos. Now, it's, it's odd sometimes when you read the scripture that they give these details, but they're just writing as they saw it. And they're like, yeah, you know, I remember this place. And, uh, but, but there was no record of this physical place. And so a lot of critics throughout the years, they're like, John, John does not know what he's talking about. He referenced Jesus healing this man at a pool of Bethesda, and it didn't ever happen. But then in the 1930s, holla at your boy, slap your mommy in the teeth. They dug up the, the colonnade that had five porticos and a pool of Bethesda by the sheep gate, just like John said it happened. And so the archaeological dig, and I could go on and on and on, but we ain't got time for all that, has disproved the um, exhaustive criticism on an onslaught of of, of criticism on the scholastic reliability and integrity of God's word. That God's so amazing. God's word has he, has, he has miraculously preserved his word throughout the ages so that you and I could show up here tonight, open up an ancient piece of literature, and we could understand that, that God preserved it and so that he is a God of his word. That Jesus says it like this. He says, heaven and earth will pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. That the evidence for the integrity of God's book is overwhelming, and the fact that God's word will last forever should forever have a lasting impact on us. One big truth, 
that leads to an important desire. And here's the important desire. Here's what it's, or here's the important desire that you would desire God's word. Point number two, desire God's word. In the text, 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, that, that word laying aside, it means to take it off, like take off those old, janky, uh, smelly clothes that you done wore three days in a row because you're like, don't know anybody care. Well, you ain't ever getting a date doing that, all right? And so you need to lay aside, you need to take off those old clothes, all that malice, all that deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking. And he says, as newborn babes desire, you could circle the word desire, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow, you can circle the word grow thereby. And so he starts off with this word therefore. So he's building off of this profound reality that he said um, that the word of God endures forever, that it's going to live forever. Therefore, uh, you need to put off those old things. And then he says this, and I love this, and he uses this phrase. He says, as newborn babes desire God's word, desire, crave, long for uh, the milk of the word, okay? And, and I love this because he uses this imagery of a newborn baby. And I don't know about you, but um, I, I'm very familiar with what a newborn baby does in their life. And so um, we actually have a newborn baby right now. Uh, I showed y'all a picture um, of, of her last week. And to save um, your, your cute supply of, oh, I'm not going to show y'all another picture anyway this week. And so, but she just, she understands uh, what it means to desire uh, God's word. And I love this because he's trying to give us a, a strong picture. And, and I don't know if you've been around babies at all, but they have a unique way of expressing their desire for certain things. Like they have a, it's a very distinct way of letting you know like they, that something's going on. Like there's, and there's mainly three things that they use this form of communication uh, to let you know that something's happening. Mainly three things like if they need a, uh, you know, change of diaper, if they got some sort of mess that they can't, uh, which is so helpless, you know, that they can't fix on their own. Um, if they're tired, um, you know, they'll, they'll let you know. Then there's this, this last one. Now, there is a, a unique way that they express when they're, they're uh, hungry or hangry, okay? And, and so maybe you've heard this before, but uh, y'all just check this out real quick. Get that baby some food, man. Change the diaper, put her to sleep, whatever you got to do, okay? Babies express their desire by crying. Now, fun fact for you, um, when you visit some orphanages in the world the, and you go to the nursery of that orphanage, uh, in some orphanages you can hear a pin drop in the nursery. And, and it's not because the babies are so well taken care of. But it's because the babies cried and cried and cried. And no one came. Now, that's a sad picture. But the reality is for us tonight is a lot of us have silenced the cry of our souls. A lot of us have silenced the cry of our soul's desire to be fed. And, and in doing so, we have calloused our heart to the person that created us. That a lot of us have silenced our souls crying out to be fed, to be satisfied, to be met. And in doing so, we have not only calloused 
our hearts, the person that created, created us, but also calloused our hearts to the substance that sustains our souls. One big truth that leads to an important desire. And, and my fear is that a lot of us have come in here and we've done this. And, and, and what the, the bottom line is, is that we, we have kind of like a spiritual eating disorder in the church of America. You know what an eating disorder is, right? Like anorexia means you don't eat. Uh, bulimia, that means that you, uh, you eat but then you regurgitate it, you throw it up, you purge. Uh, and then gluttony, that's the third eating desire. You just, you overeat, you overeat, you overeat. Now, I think a lot of us have come in here tonight and we have a spiritual eating disorder. Like some of us have walked in here tonight and spiritually speaking, we're anorexic. Like we're not even getting God's word in our life. And I don't know if you've ever been around an anorexic person, but they're usually not known for their density. Okay? And like somebody could just like sneeze or the wind picks up and they're like, you know, they're just blown away because they have no density. They have no substance. They have no meat on their bones because they are not eating. And a lot of us have walked in here spiritually speaking and we're anorexic. And so when, the, when life and when the world kind of gusts our way, we just fall down or we're easily swayed. Or some of us have come in here tonight and we're spiritually bulimic. Like you go to Bible study, uh, you go to church, and you hear the word. Maybe you read God's word. Maybe you have a podcast. I don't know what it is. But you never allow that word to, to filter down into your life and bring you nutrients. And so you're constantly, the picture is that you come in here on Tuesday night, you get into God's word, and then you leave and you purge the word out of your life. And oftentimes the way that we do that is we come in here and we hear about God's plan for our sex life. And then we go out and we're filled with masturbation or with living with someone. Or a lot of times we come in here and we hear about God's, God's love for our life and we go out and we're filled with anxiety or depression and we never stand on the promises of God. A lot of us, we come in here and we, we get the word of God and then we go to happy hour or we go to that place where we find our satisfaction or our significance by how much we can drink or how hard we can party and we just purge the nutrients of God's word out of our life. Got to say ouch instead of Amen. Or some of us, man, we're spiritual gluttons, man. Like we love Bible study. We love getting the podcast. We love reading uh, like John MacArthur. We love reading Chan. We're on Right Now Media. We got Stanley's podcast. We got Chandler's podcast. We like to talk about things like Reformed and, and Arminian. And we like to talk theology. And, and what, but what happens is that we're so fat spiritually that we are of no good in the kingdom because we never exercise the truth. Truth in obedience. That a lot of us, we have more truth than we can obey. And a lot of us, there's this sin that is just invading your life. And you think by taking in God's word, taking in God's word, that's going to provide the solution. Not that you shouldn't take in God's word, but you have to activate his word. You, God's word is only as good in your life as your obedience to his word. That's why Jesus says that there's a foolish builder who hears his word and does not put it into practice. And when the rains come and the storms of life come, he is easily blown down. But the wise man who hears God's word and puts it into practice He's like a man who built his life on a rock. 
And a lot of us have come in here and we have a spiritual eating disorder. Man, I, know, I don't know about you, but this plagued me for the majority of my life. I always tell people I got saved when I was a boy but got worse. Is that anybody's story? You know, you came to Christ and then the greatest sin you committed was after being a Christian. You thought that God was like supposed to come in and make everything better. But it, for some reason my story is like a story of God's faithful perseverance in, the, in spite of my impurities towards him because I didn't have God's word in my life. God's word, I don't know why, but it is the vehicle by which God creates growth in the believer. And so, like, I just had these, these, um, these moments of, of hope, you know, throughout my experience. Somebody, anybody, like, you had the, you know, you came to Christ, and, but then you got worse, but then you had, like, the summer camp moment where you're, like, throwing CDs in the trash can, and you're, like, getting rid of all the stuff, and then, you, you know, you trade in, like, your, um, your Joe's Crab Shack shirt or your Senior Frogs shirt for, like, you know, a, a breadcrumb and a fish shirt or something like that. And, uh, you know, like, you made all the changes, but then, like, three weeks later, you're back in the same old junk. And it wasn't until in my 20s when I I went through like this season where God was robbing me from all the joy that I once had in my sin. And he brought me to this point of brokenness when I hit rock bottom and I realized Jesus is the rock. And he put inside of me a hunger and a desire for his word. And it was once I I had a hunger and a passion and a desire for his word that he answered a prayer of mine. And because here's what what was happening then, I wanted to get married. Anybody? Okay, y'all can just be there like you ain't trying to get married up in here. Okay. I wanted to get married, but God knew that I wouldn't be prepared for the woman he had for me unless I got the word of God and that right in me. And so here's what I did. I started reading God's word and God showed me the type of woman that he says is super fine. All right. And so he showed me the principles by which I needed to perceive all women in life. And so before it was like, man, if she's, if she's hot, if she likes me then it's a candidate, right? You know, some of you guys know what's that. I mean, that's your standard, right? And so God began to show me in his word, Chad, if you would listen to my word, do what it says. And I began to pray. He was changing my heart. He was giving me a desire, and I prayed, God, give me a woman that loves your word. Because at that point, I felt, I felt called to preach, and I knew I needed a woman that loved to hear God's word if I was going to be preaching God's word all the time. And, and God gave me a woman that loves God's word. But until I surrendered and I started being satisfied with my soul, with the content of God's character that is communicated through his word, I would never have been ready to inherit the blessing that I have in my wife. Nor would I be able to lead her the way that God has called me to lead her. Nor would I have the power and the strength to push through the pain of the commitment that marriage is. Because God's word not only helps you get a blessing, but it also helps you push through the times in which you think you're cursed. And so we've got an eating disorder and God wants to feed you. And so guys, when what, what it tells us in the text is, is that um, he says, he says the crave the word of God, uh, like, like pure milk of the word, excuse me, says as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow. And I love this in the original text, that, the original text, that word grow is, is passive. It's a passive verb that God creates the growth. That we come to Christ like in Colossians 2.6, Paul would say it this way. That, um, the, that uh, He says, just as you receive Jesus Christ, so walk in him. That the way we come to Christ is that we experience his grace and we place our faith in him. We trust him and then that's the same way we walk with him. And so when we get into God's word, we're saying, God, I need you. By your grace, would you speak in me? 
And we feast upon his word so that God can create growth in us. And it's not us in our activity that creates growth, but it's God in his spirituality that creates the growth so that no man can boast. If you know the Bible, don't boast about it. Don't, don't laud it that you've got tons of scripture memorized and, and lorded over people as if they're inferior to your gifting. That is foolishness as if you acquired that gifting by something that you did. You have forgotten that. That was a gift of God, that growth. And so God is wanting to grow us. Have you found God's word? Jeremiah 15, 16 says that your words were found and I ate them and they became for me a joy and my heart's delight because I'm called by your name. Have you found God's word? If you haven't found God's word, if you're new to the Bible, I just encourage you, man, we, I don't know if you grabbed a Bible on the way in right next to the cookie. Some of you grabbed the cookie because um, your heart... Um, long for the cookie more than God's word. That's just, you know, not convicting you, but guilting you. It's, it's different. Uh, just kidding. Anyway, so if you don't have a Bible, that's our gift for you tonight. Take it with you. One of the best ways for you to begin to have the desire for God's word is to read it. Read it. Get a Bible, start reading it. Start with First Peter. The second way that you can do that is you can study it. We printed out these uh, devotionals. These are amazing uh, devotionals, amazing uh, just step-by-step study through the book of 1 Peter. So if, you don't, if you're not feeling very desiry about God's word, begin to read it, activate it, begin to study it. Grab one of these devotionals and get in God's word, or you can also memorize it. And guys, we are trying to equip you to succeed in your Christian walk because the last thing we need is anemic, anorexic, bulimic, glutton Christians who are walking around not allowing the word of God to satisfy their souls and give them the power that they need to navigate the tumultuous waters of your 20s, 30s, teens, wherever you're at tonight. And so memorize God's word. We've given you two memory verses. Put it on your dashboard, on your mirror. Begin to allow God's word to own your life. Tape it to the back of your phone. Whatever you got to do to memorize it. We gave you a new one tonight. Second Peter, excuse me, 1 Peter 2.2. And it says like this, like newborn babes or babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that by so that you will grow into a full expression of salvation. So read God's word, memorize God's word, uh, study God's word, get in God's word and activate this desire. One big truth, God's word endures forever. That feeds an important desire, a desire for his word. Because of a glorious experience. Point number three, the glorious experience is that you would taste the Lord's grace. Here's what it says in 1 Peter 2, verse 3. He says, he's like, you know, you crave the milk like a newborn baby. You turn, you put off malice, slander, envy, all this stuff. He says, you know, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. I love this because Peter's like, you know, dude, like if you're not a believer tonight, there's no reason for you to, to put faith in that. There's no reason for you to desire God's word. If you're not a believer, if you haven't had an experience with God that has altered your eternity, then, then you can just discredit what I said except for the, the legitimacy, history, you know, of the Bible, that sort of thing. But if you are a believer, Peter would say, you know, do these things, you know, if indeed you've tasted the Lord's grace. If you've tasted the Lord's grace... If you've experienced God, do these things. I love that he finishes with this because he's kind of calling us out a little bit. Like this word taste, it insinuates an experience, right? Because, you know, words, they have limits. And, and pictures, uh, they, they just, they don't, they don't give 
credit or they don't give integrity to the experience. Words have limits, but pictures, they lack experience. Like, y'all know this, right? You try to explain something, you're like, well, let me just show you a picture of my family. Or let me just show you a picture of the mountains that I saw in Alaska this month. But then you're like, it just doesn't do it justice, right? You ever been like in a really cool place at the beach or in a mountain or something like that? And, and you take a picture, you're like, oh, this is going to be awesome. And you print it and you put it in the wall and you're like, that's where we were. But you're just like, it's just not the same, right? Words have limits and pictures they lack experience. And so Jesus, Peter would say through the inspiration of Jesus and the Holy Spirit that you need to, you need to experience, you need to taste in 1945, we sealed the deal on the Second World War. And something, the second most glorious thing that took place in 1945 is there was a, the establishment of a bakery in Kansas City called McLean's. <laughs> let me testify for a minute. If you have never been to McLean's, let me just tell you, McLean's is where it is at, all right? They got cocoa leaves uh, processing in the back of their bakery, and they take that and make cocaine, and they put it in their baked goods. Um, that's just my theory, I'm just saying. Um, and so uh, anyway, and I just want to explain to you real quick um, just the cookie. Like let me just give you some, like I just want you to explain what you imagine. The, one of the McLean's cookies, let's just go with like uh, peanut butter. It's in your hand and it is the, um, it is the quintessence of glory. <laughs> you see it? It's round, about the size of your hand. It radiates the beauty of all that is good in this life. It's got cracked edges on it. Hold on, I'm working. Hang on. Cracked edges on it and wrists that mimic the lines on the palm of your hands. Unique. Every cookie's unique, just like you. It's been sweetly coated with a gritty, sparkly, unicorn-esque Something. I don't know. It's kind of gritty, but something. Okay. You see it? You s okay. So, so words that have limitations. And so I just wanted to show y'all real quick. Okay. Can you see it? Okay. If you can't see this, you can see it up on the screen behind me. You can see it right there. Okay. Yeah. So see it. Oh, see it. See it. <laughs> so you see it, man. You're beginning, right? But there's one other level, right? Because like God, like I just love that God does this because he, he gives us his word and he's like, yeah, read the word. You need to get in the word. And he says, and then he like, he gives us these pictures like where we can see like God doing things. Like we maybe we saw, you know, God do some great things over Easter at your church, our church, whatever. You know, you saw some things. But there's like this one other step that God would say. And I love this because Peter would use this idea that comes from Psalm 34, 8. It's actually a commandment, which is kind of weird because we hear like the big ten commandments. Thou shalt not do this, 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 and this. Charlton Heston and... Um, the other guy that played Batman, I can't remember his name. Anyway, so um, those two guys, you see them, da, 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 da. But Jesus would say in the book of Psalms, Psalm 34, 8, he would say, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. That there's something different from explaining it and, and holding it in your hand. You know, just, oh, I'm sorry, bless you. Okay, I'm going to save that for later. Um, but if I really want to make you a believer, if I really just want to get you to really know this, um, you got to try it. Who likes peanut butter cookies? Are you allergic? Don't, please don't eat that if you're not allergic. <laughs> Call 911. She's allergic. Epidural. I'm not epidural. EpiPen. Whatever. <laughs> epidural. Whoo. Okay. Check, please. Okay. All right. <clears throat> 
Do you believe me? Oh, she believes me now. <laughs> that words, they have limits. Pictures lack experience. But when you taste, that's the game changer. And so what happens, like, I've tasted these cookies, and so, like, I have this desire often. It's really bad. Like, I need to probably go to Celebrate Recovery, see a counselor, I don't know, some sort of thing. Like, first step in admitting or, in ha- you know, overcoming a problem is admitting you have a problem. And so, like, you know, for me, um, this desire, like, I feel this desire for McLean's. Um, fortunately, one of my best friends, Josiah Jones, lives about two blocks um, from the original McLean's. There's another one on Rose Street in uh, Kansas, but we don't go to Kansas. If you're here from Kansas, I'm just kidding. Anyway, and so... Um, anyway, there's two spots, and Josiah Jones, like, he, he, um, can, he can just, like, hook me up from time to time. And so my boy hooked up my whole family. Like, there was, like, dancing, uh, celebrating, praise shouts to Jesus on Easter Sunday because we had a bunny cookie with icing, and we had all this stuff. And so, like, there's this desire for the cookie, and it, and it feeds my delight in the cookie. Like, it, it, it feeds into that. And then when I delight in the cookie, just like my sister did here, when I delight in the cookie, I get more desire for the cookie. So it's like this vicious cycle of of just goodness that's just happening, right? And so I think about it, and then I experience it, and I'm like, oh, this is so good. And then I, then I, and I, I, the experience is done, and I start thinking about it again. I'm like, oh, i got to have the experience again. And what God is trying to say is that when you taste the Lord's grace, you get an experience that leads to a further desire for that experience so that you can continue in this visual, vicious cycle of spiritual goodness where you long to delight in his glory and his beauty, and then you have the those moments where you come and you celebrate and you sing in the, the presence of God or you watch a beautiful sunset or you see something amazing or you smell like the most innocent smell of like a, of a small child with the sunscreen and the little like just cool sweat that they have. It smells so good and you're just like, oh, this is so beautiful and it like stirs worship for you and like you just long for these moments and this desire leads to this delight in the God of glory that leads to a desire to want to delight in the glory of God that leads to a desire. It's this cycle in which we want to experience the grace of God. Have you tasted that the Lord is good? See, I'm convinced that a lot of people have claimed Christ, but they've never seen and tasted him. And for me, like when life squeezes me, I forget these truths all the time. Like, like we had flu that broke out in my house, and we have a newborn baby, which can kill a newborn. And, and then we had flu break out again about 10 weeks later, and I'm, I'm in this room quarantined with my three-year-old who's snotty-nosed with nosebleeds, and she's just, bless her heart. And I, I'm in there, and I, and I get out my phone, and I start texting my wife. Y'all ever had an argument on text message? I'm just really frustrated right now, dot, dot, dot. You know, there's more coming, Right? I just don't understand, you know, I start arguing, having a discussion, a heated discussion via text with my wife. She calls me. I'm like, I'm not trying to talk with you right now, woman. I'm in here, this baby's not enough, you know. And I had gotten so focused on what was going to be over in, in a few days that it had robbed me from my perspective of what is going to last forever. And I've forgotten this truth, this one big truth that God's word will last forever. It had robbed me of a desire to get into God's word. I just, I didn't get into God's word. I didn't want to. And I wasn't experiencing his grace. 
And I'm convinced a lot of people have yet to experience him altogether. So if you're here and you're like, well, Chad, how do you have an experience? Like, how do you marry the, the existential with the, with the ethereal? Like, how do you marry the, uh, the, the re- real world with the ideal world? How do you marry, like, experience with, like, an invisible God with material world? And, and let me just explain, like, like it, the, the best thing that I could use is, like, when you fall in love. I don't know if you've ever fallen in love before, but you just saw him and you're like, oh, my gosh. Be still on my heart. I like started quoting Juliet, you know. <laughs> Or you, you saw her and you're like, dang. Uh. You know, guys, when we see a pretty girl, we just lose everything. Uh, uh. You're just frozen. You know, your boy's like, quit staring, man. And you felt like there was something you felt. And, and love is such an ethereal ideal, but we all know what it feels like. And, and so, like, Grab that language, grab that idea with me for just a second. If you've never experienced God, like, let me just tell you this. God, he loves you. And he wants, to, he wants you to feast on the great reality that he has poured out his grace upon you. He wants you to taste his grace. And I, I love this. And, and what I would challenge you to do if you've never had like this experience, let me excri- describe this experience. Or you can grab one of the, the people on the sidewalk team. You say, tell me about your experience with Christ. If you know Christ, you know what I'm talking about. There's this, there are these moments in our life where we experience Christ. And typically it happens when we fix our mind on the beauty of the sacrifice of the cross. Weird language to put together. The beauty of a death. The beauty of a cross, but it's beauty through the lens of which we understand the gospel because Jesus is dying on the cross for you. Here's what it says. I love this in Hebrews 2.9. He says this, but we do see Jesus. Jesus is dead, resurrected, ascended to the right hand of the Father by this time. So this isn't one of the guys that like rolled with Jesus. He's like, but we see Jesus who for a while was a little lower than the angels, crowned now by God with glory and honor because he suffered for us. And here's what he says, yes, because of God's great kindness, God's great kindness, God's love for you, God's forbearance, his mercy, his love for you. He says this, that Jesus tasted death for everyone in all the world. Listen, listen. Jesus tasted death for everyone so that you could taste his grace for eternity. Jesus was damned so that you could have a delight. Jesus was cursed and condemned so that you could know your creator. Jesus tasted death for everyone so that we could taste his grace for eternity. The way to experience God for the first time or the way to experience God for the tenth time. If you don't know Jesus, you would be foolish to leave here tonight without getting that straight. And the way that we do that, it says in Romans 10 that we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. And it says this, when you do those two things, no religious activity, no good works, he says just confess that Jesus is Lord and believe 
that he's done what he said he's done. He says, you'll be saved. You'll taste his grace. And so tonight, I just have one invitation, two responses. One invitation, two responses. If you don't know Jesus, if you've never tasted his grace, if you cannot look at a time in your life where you experienced the cataclysmic, glorious, infinite love of God washing over you. I'm so loved. I have peace now. If you've never experienced that, the grace of God, taste his grace tonight by fixing the eyes of your heart upon his sacrifice. Believing that he tasted death for you so that you could taste grace for eternity. Or I think a lot of us are here, maybe we've had an experience with God, but we've just lost our desire for his word. And the word is the vehicle by which God creates the the sustenance and the nutrients for your spiritual growth. And so you come in here spiritually beat up and banged up because you have no desire for his word. And so the second second decision that, that some of you need to make is that you just need to say, God, I've lost that loving feeling. Return it to me. Some of you, because of that, maybe you need to sign up for the Awaken Retreat. Because you need spiritual renewal in your life. Some of you need to go and find God's word and open it up as if it is your treasure. Scripture says that this is honey to our souls. John Piper says, what good is honey when it stays in the cupboard? So maybe you need to pray, God, restore in me a desire for your truth. I encourage you just to to bow your heads and we're going to pray and enter in a time of worship through song. And this is your time to respond. The sidewalk team will will, um, be up here after that song and they would love to pray with you. They would love to counsel you. If you're here and you don't know Jesus and you want to step in a right relationship with Jesus, man, we would love to help you with that tonight. If, if you feel something in your heart gazing upon his sacrifice, that you would, that you would stand and that you would, that you would say, God, I want to taste your grace. I'm tired of, of giving my life to things that don't matter for eternity. I want to believe or I do believe that your word endures forever. And I want to desire your word and I want to experience you, God. So maybe you need to begin a relationship with Christ tonight. You feel him calling you. Others of us, maybe we need to pray and ask God to reinstate a desire to know him. Because when we desire to know him, we desire for others to know him too. There's no reason why this place shouldn't be teeming with young adults. That our passion will fuel us to reach the city. Our passion for God will fuel us to reach the city. Lord Jesus, we thank you for tonight. God, we thank you that you are a God that saves. Hallelujah for Easter. Thank you for the cross. And God, I pray that you would ignite passion in our hearts for the proclamation of your truth. God, that you would save men and women tonight. That you would ignite a desire to know your truth. And in doing so, you will make us strong spiritually. And you would help us to push back the darkness in our lives and in Kansas City. 
and that we would see a movement of God sweep the city and the young adults, and we would see people come to know Christ and strong, resilient, valiant, courageous believers rise up. God, help us to be obedient. In Jesus' name I pray.